so tonight we are finishing up a three-part series on Jesus, and most of our messages come back around to Jesus somehow, right? Um, but these weeks we've been intentional about talking um, and just talking about why Jesus matters in our lives, and um, we talked about how Jesus redeems and Jesus <coughs> renews in the last two weeks, and then tonight I'm going to finish with Jesus restores. <clears throat> and this hasn't been your typical like Christmas series, I would say. Um, we didn't read the stories of Jesus' birth, uh, but tonight I do want to focus on why his birth matters. Um, and it still isn't going to be a traditional read the story of Mary and Joseph in the manger, um, but this to me is a Christmas message. Um, we're going to go ahead and start, though, with some discussion questions. Um, so three questions here. What do you think the significance, um, what do you think is significant about Jesus' birth specifically rather than his life or death or resurrection? And then what does it mean to restore something? And what do you think a restored life might look like? good discussion. Lots of good answers to those questions. Um, <clears throat> so in the last two weeks, Tyler has had these fun examples, I think, um, when he talked about Jesus redeeming and Jesus uh, renewing. When he talked about Jesus redeeming, he mentioned that the only thing he could think of that we redeem in modern day is coupons. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, and then last week, he had this example of beating his shoes to death and then them being in such disrepair that they didn't just need repair, like you couldn't just patch them up or anything. They needed to be replaced. So that was kind of that image for renewal. Um, and this week, as I think about restoration, I'm reminded of all of these shows on HGTV, like Fixer Upper, where people buy this home that's in need of like a lot of work to even be livable. Um, and specifically, I think of this one called Rehab Addict. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Um, but the host, she takes these homes that are, like, absolutely uninhabitable, hence the, like, rehab, rehab, habit, you know, addict. Um, and she makes them, like, new again. And I just think it's so cool that she doesn't get rid of the original architecture or charm for these houses. And some of them are located in like the Detroit area in some of the worst neighborhoods there and they're literally already scheduled to be demolished. Um, sometimes that week and she snaps it up beforehand and then restores them. And she somehow makes homes go from looking like this in that picture to the left to the one in the right. And they're both, the one on the right is still kind of that same style. And I look at that and I just am kind of amazed because I realized that the tub and the sink and the mirror above the sink, I don't know if you can tell, but those are all original. So she must have scrubbed and scrubbed and just made these things that were original to the home, like able to be used again. Um, and so I feel like I like her show. I don't watch it all the time. But she sees things as salvageable rather than disposable, um, right? And I think sometimes I get overrun by, like, this feeling in our culture that 
Um, everything is kind of disposable where we value like quantity over quality. And I'm just reminded that God doesn't see us as disposable. And he knew that when he saw us and created us, he could salvage us, he could save us, and he could restore us. And so to me, that's part of the reason why Jesus's birth matters. We're going to spend a little bit of time in two different passages tonight. They're kind of long, um, and then I'll have a little commentary in between. But it's going to be a lot of scripture because I think God's word speaks without all of my commentary. Um, we're going to read from John 1 and Colossians 1, and we're going to start in John if you want to turn there. So this is John 1, starting in verse 1, and this isn't the Christmas story, but again, I think in some ways this is John's version of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a, a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So I love this passage, but the verse that really sticks out to me um, for tonight is that first bit of 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So I think God didn't just create us in some grand experiment. He didn't watch us sin and then leave us to just destroy his creation and destroy each other. <clears throat> and if you've been through any sort of college seminar on ethics or, um, or society, I had a class called, What is a Good Society? Um, then you've probably had this debate about whether humans are fundamentally good or fundamentally evil. And... You may have even read like Lord of the Flies in grade school and had like an elementary level discussion on this same topic. Um, and I think sometimes I get stuck in this mode of thinking dualistically, black or white, good or evil. And sometimes I even think to myself, I'm bad and God is good. 
And one time uh, a professor even pointed this out to me in a paper, in a grade actually. He said, you have a really high Christology or like a high opinion of who Christ is um, and a really low anthropology, like a really low opinion of who humans are. And I was like, wow, I never thought about that before, um, that like I'm sort of unbalanced in that way that I'm not recognizing um, that God that God values me um, and values us. Um, so in doing the I'm bad, God is good thing, which God is good, and I do have a lot of bad parts of me, <laughs> um, in doing that, I forget, and I think all of us probably get in this space sometimes, that God said humans were very good at creation. And I forget that by Jesus being born in like flesh and bones and having a human body and being a baby, being confined to um, an infant body, he sort of reinstates humans as God's good creation. Like he was okay with taking on a human body. Um, so restoration, just a definition here, is um, the action of restoring a person to a former state or position the fact of being restored or reinstated. Reinstatement in the favor of God, innocence, or salvation, and restoring something to a person who has previously been deprived of it. Returning of something lost or stolen. So in Jesus' birth, I think we have this image of God fully restored in us. And I also think that God through Jesus, gets us returned back to him. So we could be considered lost or stolen, and Jesus coming and dying and rising um, gives us back to God, um, gives us back to, to him with the original intention and relationship he wanted with us. And Jesus is God, and he chooses to come here and not just abandon us to our own devices. I think that's what's so cool about um, Jesus coming and Jesus being born. That he makes his dwelling here in, in John, it says. And that word for dwelling actually means something closer to pitching a tent. Um, and... <coughs> Excuse me. Mounts' Dictionary of the New Testament says that Jesus... Um, is the incarnation of the glory of God, dwelling among God's people as God did in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. So you might remember that the Israelites in the Old Testament had this tent that they carried around with them while they were wandering in the desert, and they called that the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And this is where they would meet with God. And so I think that Jesus' birth, life, and death, and resurrection is how we meet God. Even though the Israelites met God in the tabernacle, he still kind of feels far away, right? When you read the Old Testament, at least for me. Like I see glimpses of him. Um, there are moments when he draws really near, when he speaks through the prophets or through a burning bush. But it's still sort of difficult to imagine what God is like, um, and the idea of who God is is sort of abstract and like hard to, hard to grasp or figure out. And in Jesus, I think God is revealed. So 
um, verse 18 in John 1 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus makes God known. Um, David Bentley Hart, who's an Orthodox theologian that I've come to admire, says this, um, the infinite distance between God and his creatures is shown to be entirely traversed in the incarnation. So incarnation is this idea of something being made flesh, right? Um, Putting something into a concrete form, a concrete or definite form. And in Jesus, God gets a definite form. In Jesus, God bridges what feels like an infinite distance, right? In Jesus, we get to see the Father's heart played out with a human person who's speaking words that everybody can see, everybody can talk to, everybody can see him healing. And um, so Jesus is that bridge for us to understand who God is. And... I want to read a few words from Paul about um, who he says Jesus is in Colossians 1. This is our second passage for the night. This is Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And not only that, I, I don't know that I'd ever noticed this before, but Paul writes that God in all his fullness was pleased, not just resigned to, but pleased to live in Christ. and Jesus shared in our humanity, he was still God, but he shared in our humanity so that he could restore us into relationship with God and show us who the Father is. Um, Another definition of restore that came up when I was researching was that I didn't expect to find, it's a newer definition, I guess, um, is the action or process of restoring files or data from a backup location. (laughs) And if you have an iPhone, uh, have you ever seen this screen? Yeah? I haven't seen it for a long time, like a few years, but it's a nightmare because... uh, 
I remember seeing it on like my iPad 2 or like iPhone 3S or something along several years ago. And this error message is just scary because this means that your device is in recovery mode and like you can't access anything or do anything with your phone. Like it, you turn it on and it has that screen, you reset it and it has that screen and it just wants you to plug it into a computer and connect to iTunes. Um, but when this happened to me, I plugged it into iTunes and then I got this screen, which is even scarier, <laughs> fixed. iTunes could not connect to this iPhone. Um, so I thought like plugging it in was supposed to fix this problem and it didn't and it couldn't connect. There was no way for it to connect and I ended up at the Apple store and I don't know, somehow they were able to fix it. I have no idea how, but I was grateful that I didn't have to buy a new phone. So this might be a stretch or a little too cheesy, but I think that before Jesus, um, we were in recovery mode. And not only were we in recovery mode, but like trying to plug in and, and be there. It was like, you, we can't connect to this iPhone in some ways. Um, and that all of our human effort couldn't get, get us out of recovery mode. But Jesus came and he restores us. He, he takes us and puts us back to factory settings, like new. We're like a refurbished phone, kind of. Right? <laughs> It's just as good as a brand new one that you buy, right? Apple claims that the refurbs are just as good. Anyway, um, so all of this has been a lot about who Jesus is and what he does, but what can we do with this? I've, I'm always struggling to like find a practical application. Tyler is like Mr. Practical Application, and I'm just not as good at that, but... Um, when I think about us applying the incarnation, I want to um, make a couple of observations from John 1. So in verses 6 through 8, the Apostle John wrote, um, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then John also writes in verse 12 that God gives those who believe in Jesus the right to become children of God. Um, so John the Baptist's purpose was to be a witness to Christ's light so that others might believe. And I think as children of God, fellow children of God now, our purpose is to do the same thing. And in Matthew, I'm reminded that Jesus actually says his disciples are the light of the world. So John 1 talks about <clears throat> Jesus coming as a light in the world into the dark place. But Matthew says, um, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's the practical application for us? I think Jesus was the incarnation of God, right? God in a human body with flesh and bones. He was concrete, knowable. He's defined. Um, but now that Jesus isn't here in a human body, I think we're meant to live incarnationally. So that might sound kind of sacrilegious to you for me 
to use this word incarnate um, to describe the church or God's people. But in English, uh, the word incarnation can also mean a person in whom some quality, attribute, principle, etc. is exhibited in a bodily form, a living representative or an embodiment. So I think with the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't this what the church is meant to be? Aren't we left here as living representatives of Jesus? Shouldn't we have Jesus' qualities, his attributes, his principles? So if you're uncomfortable with incarnation, like maybe we use the word embodiment, right? The word body is right there, and we already read in Colossians that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. Earlier this year, if you were with us for our talks on 1 Corinthians, there's a whole chapter about the church being the body. Um, So to me, in answering that question, what does a restored life look like? Um, It's one that looks like Jesus. That might seem overly simplistic, but um, I think our lives, like his, should bring light into darkness and life where there's death. hope where there's hopelessness, and peace where there's chaos or confusion. And um, just to give you some final thoughts to ponder during this Christmas season and thoughts that I'm pondering is I want to just meditate on Jesus being the visible image of an invisible God. Um, a God who might have seemed distant, but is actually good and loving and beautiful. And uh, I want to do my best, and I hope you will too, with God's strength, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, for us to do what that um, verse 16, 516 in Matthew said, that we would let our light shine before others so that they can see and experience the goodness and love and beauty of God and glorify our, our Father in heaven also. So we're going to um, just 